a lot of firsts with this one. Our first repeat guest and our first in-person podcast ever. And this is one packed with value. Base Bomb, if you don't know, it is the most base skin product brand out there. Use the code Mateo on the link in the description here for your discounted rate. But Troy here from Base Bomb delivers insanely cool parallels between nature and Bitcoin and aesthetics and the parallels between a society's monetary system and the direct relationship it shares with what you see and how you feel and how you take care of yourself and take care of your society. Tremendous episode. Check it out. Alright, Troy, here we are. Back in North Carolina, man. Appreciate you having me on, man. Welcome to Baseball HQ. (laughs) Dude, this place is awesome. And uh, you got a lot of new products since I last saw you, so. Yeah, it's been a busy year, but it's been awesome. Uh, Coming up on our almost first year in business as baseball, so nice, great run. Yeah, a lot of great based products, as you know, and uh, with that comes a social responsibility you've got lean more into like bitcoin and like aesthetics for the people and that message that's why i'm here man i wanted to hear more about that so bitcoin is the most base financial system in the world um essentially our current monetary system has enabled this rather slip into degeneracy and sort of the the things you don't like to see in the world and um we've come on to bitcoin as like a bedrock of sort of the aesthetic renaissance as like a new language of value for the the world we want to see language of value yeah nice so how is this bitcoin more aesthetic than the monetary system we have now so essentially the monetary system we have now um a lot of people don't realize that the money we're using is essentially bleeding and leaking value at an increasing rate so it all starts back in 1970 the money that we've been using used to be tied to gold Um, So we can first touch on the properties of what makes good money. So money as a language, you need to have several properties. It needs to be divisible. It needs to be scarce and finite in total amount. And then also needs to be scalable um, and saleable across space and time. And it needs to be like fungible. So like $1 here is the same value as $1 there, vice versa. Um, But one of those properties of our money has been deteriorating, which is the scarcity property. So our money has become less scarce since 1970. They depegged it from gold and now it's being printed. So it's decreasing as a tool to orchestrate society and it's making things go a little bit nuts. So that's why yeah. I remember Bitcoin. When Nixon unpegged it in the 70s, that was a huge turning point. And then you're seeing now the inflation rate, they say it's around like 10%, but really it's like closer to 20. I think anyone anyone can look at the prices in the grocery store or whatever and see it's clearly not just 5, 10%. Um, it's much more than that. And if you look at the actual monetary expansion, if you look at sort of like the M2 monetary supply from the Federal Reserve, the monetary supply has increased 40% in the past three years, which is insane. The most it's expanded in the history of the country. So so you're saying like within the last couple of years, that much money has been printed in the existence of US dollars? Yes, it's, it's pretty nuts. So things aren't really going up in price. It's the power of your dollars that you cherish and hold in your savings is going down in value from the excessive printing, which is a shame. Why would our government do that? Because I know the US, during those accords, and I think during Bretton Woods also, they like forced every nation to hold dollars. Now, why would they make 
go ahead and print so many dollars? Why would they do that? Well, we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner as a country. So our economy is essentially on life support in terms of like it needs freshly printed dollars to come from the Federal Reserve um, or else we see like tremendous economic downturn. So and then on top of that, we're in debt as a country, about 30 trillion. So if we stop printing money, it's going to be hard to pay back that 30 trillion dollars. Um, but if we're in debt of something that we can just print, they have every incentive to keep printing money. Um, it's just the way they can do it. They don't have to really budget as much to get that money back if they can just mint it. So, so no real value. They're just going to print it away. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And the, as the more they print, the more it becomes apparent that something's going wrong and, and not everyone can quite pin their finger on it. And a lot of politicians will use like this riled up anger, um, and just point it towards the other party or point to the other system without really going upstream all the way and realizing that the language of value, the bedrock of our society is becoming corrupted. And that's why things are getting pretty weird. Gotcha. And then uh, I know you read the Bitcoin Standard too, that book, and in it, it describes this discrepancy between hard money and soft money. And that's one of the bedrocks of establishing a more stable and financially secure system. So what is hard money and soft money? So yeah, it's a great book, uh, The Bitcoin Standard by Safety Anomalies. It's an incredible lens into history written through like the financial perspective of money and why the the like, depreciation and degradation of money has led to so many collapses in world history. Um, but essentially, hard money versus soft money. Hard money is things that you can't be printed. So when the money is hard, the society really becomes harder. The people are harder, like stronger. The value in sort of the interchange of goods is important because if you can't print the money, you have to get money from someone else by doing something of value in return. That's how our free market is built. But when the money gets soft and it gets printed by a central authority, it means less. And there's other ways that you can get rich and sort of acquire this money without necessarily providing value. And that's where central, central banking has kind of disrupted our society. So a soft money is one that doesn't have a, a cap on the total circulating amount. And a hard money is one that's very hard to increase the total circulating amount. So think of like Chuck E. Cheese tokens. They can, they can print those versus gold bars. Gold bars are only increase in supply about 2% a year because there's just only a finite amount of gold that can be extracted um, versus something like, you know, Chuck E. Cheese token, they can yeah. print as many as they want. That's why we don't use as money. It's soft. So in it being finite in supply, it gives it its value, right? And so with Bitcoin, where is that finite with Bitcoin? How is that finite? So Bitcoin is capped at 21 million coins and there's nothing anyone can do about it. No country, no government, no group of people, no person, not even the founder themselves could change the cap of Bitcoins. Um, and this is the genius of it. And the white paper we have here, those are listening to the white paper in our uh, base bomb HQ. But essentially the protocol has been spread so far with Bitcoin that the rules cannot change. And this is different from any other cryptos that aren't exactly decentralized because they have different architecture, but Bitcoin is optimized for decentralization. It's extremely simple. The blockchain is very light in terms of data intensive requirements. And that lets Bitcoin just be the most decentralized, most affordably centralized. So the protocol is the hardest, which means that it is extremely, extremely set in stone that there will only be 21 million Bitcoins, which is the genius of it. Genius. So it's capped at 21 million Bitcoins and then no one knows who the founder is. So it's protected. You can't go after that person's family. Say you're a government. 
I would be extremely upset. So you're the U.S. government. I'd be very upset, right? I would like to know who came up with this system, Bitcoin, go after them. But the creator is anonymous. It's capped to 21 million Bitcoin. It is it is growing in value because of those elements. But um, how can we be sure that Bitcoin is the crypto coin of the future and not ETH, Ethereum, which is, you know, very popular? Yeah, so... First of all, I'd like to look at, you know, who are the groups that are pushing certain coins and pushing certain like methodologies. Um, one of the biggest differences just to start off generally with Bitcoin and Ethereum is that Bitcoin has a supply cap and Ethereum does not. And then the other huge discrepancy between the two is that Bitcoin uses proof of work where Ethereum uses proof of stake. So starting out with the supply cap, as we touched on, if the money doesn't have a supply cap, then it can be issued or minted by someone else, giving them unnaturally large power economically. Yep. Um, and then when it comes to proof of work, that's the methodology of how the coins are mined. So Ethereum uses proof of stake, essentially meaning, and they, they're so proud of this migration they just did. But that means however many you have, you have more authority over the protocol. Whereas Bitcoin, to mint Bitcoins, you need to consume physical energy. It's tied to the real world, that's the peg. So it's not a matter of you know how much you have, it's a matter of did you put in work, yes or no, to mine the coins, and it's extremely neutral. Yeah, and it's a lot of energy output to mine this Bitcoin, but yeah. once you do, you earned it. That makes sense, That that's tied in nicely. So Ethereum is not finite, is one thing. The other uh, elements that make Bitcoin, I mean, sorry, Ethereum a bit more questionable, what are those? So we can look at Ethereum, first of all, the way it was um, created is they had a pre-mine initially of the Ethereum. So before anyone could even use it or mine it, they all mined it themselves. I believe it was like 60, maybe even 70% um, pre-mines. So they gathered all the coins themselves with their inner circle and then now that they've moved over to proof of stake, the inner circle, the founding of the, the Ethereum board, they have so many coins, they can now control the protocol. So now what's happening is they have the ability to censor transactions, mm -hmm. roll back the blockchain, um, all these things that are extremely counterintuitive to the whole like cryptocurrency movement. And I even like cringe saying the word crypto or cryptocurrency because I think that industry itself is, this, is an attack vector on Bitcoin, which is in my opinion, the truth and the only real uh, chance at freeing humanity to a different monetary system. You use the language freeing, like freedom, and that we're tied into the fiat system, which is the one we have today. One of the things that uh, with having family abroad is this, when you go from one currency to the next, the foreign exchange market is bleeding people dry, especially families who can't afford to constantly transact between currencies. How would Bitcoin address that? So Bitcoin is a neutral uh, sort of like exchange rate. So it's like wherever you are, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Um, and additionally, we're already seeing this happen already. It's not even like a theoretical, like would it help? It's, it's really cool because people, for example, in El Salvador, um, the money they had there, which is dollars, they can't really access it because they don't have as much banks. Their, their banks are hours apart. It costs them $50 a month just to have a debit account. So Bitcoin has just naturally become their chosen means of interacting with each other, not only locally in El Salvador, but to send like remittances back home because it's instant and there's no fees. They're not getting screwed on those exchange rates. Um, so it's just, it's just amazing what it's doing already. No fees, 
there's a cap limit if you hold on to Bitcoin long enough, even if a Bitcoin holder passes away or loses access to those Bitcoins, that is creating even more scarcity. So it yeah. goes up in value for the other Bitcoin holders. Exactly. It's, it's kind of like a, a miraculous way that it works out. Yeah. So that's Bitcoin. That's Ethereum. What are your uh, thoughts? Let's take a step back. What are your thoughts on this whole cryptographic monetary system, though? Like, why would a new movement like this be born? What's What's the need for it? So what's important is that throughout world history, whenever the money becomes depegged, chaos ensues. Every time you look at the collapse of Rome, they started minting all these coins and then they started trying to, the government tried to incentivize certain behaviors with their ability to mint these coins, mismanagement, misallocation of capital and collapse. And it happens over and over again. Um, so we can learn from history. And um, Bitcoin solves this problem by tying our currency to work. Proof of work is the genius um, real invention of Bitcoin, which came from Hashcash, which is a previous project that was sort of mimicked in Bitcoin's creation. But essentially, the proof of work allows no one to cheat the system. And humanity's always been trying to find a better way of, of taking care and saving their own time. Um, and so that's, that's why gold failed, is because it couldn't be pegged, because eventually it was so heavy to move around, they had to issue paper slips and say, okay, this represents gold storage. But then someone's in charge of that pegging, saying, yeah, for sure, the dollars you have are related to gold storage, but the peg was broken. And Bitcoin finally solves that issue where the money you're getting is tied to physical consumption of energy that is finally like attached to nature. So it allows us to really save our time and not be scammed out of it from someone else printing. So proof of work, why is it using language proof? Can people see who owns the Bitcoin? So Bitcoin is pseudo anonymous, meaning that you can see, it's like picture yourself walking down a, a hallway of glass lockers. You don't know who owns them, but you can see which wallet numbers have which accounts of Bitcoin. This is, this is how it works, is that anyone can see this, but you can't see who owns which lockers, pseudo anonymous. So that's the genius of it is that it's extremely transparent without sacrificing people's actual privacy, okay. which is the genius of it. So it's the wallets are the lockers and then the keys are the combination to those lockers. Yes, and uh, it's it's just amazing. And and that's kind of how, we don't, I guess I won't get too deep into this, but that's how the nodes work is that a node is essentially a copy of all the Bitcoins in storage um, in every transaction ever, and that way it can be copied and spread throughout the world. So there's hundreds of thousands of nodes that have a full copy of it. Um, and so that's, Bitcoin doesn't live on one specific server. It lives decentralized in each one of these little spores of itself around the world. So everyone can see who owns it and it's verifiable because everyone sees the previous owner of that transaction, that transaction, that transaction, and use the word spores like mushrooms. It, you, you keep using language that is like tied into nature. How is Bitcoin tied into nature? So a couple different ways. One is that it, it physically requires energy, unlike proof of stake tokens, which are susceptible to just becoming centralized and printed. So Bitcoin requires real energy to be used. That's why it's authentic and real. Additionally, every Bitcoin node is kind of like a DNA of Bitcoin because they're all identical. They all contain the rule set and they all contain every transaction, every value. So it's like each node is like a spore of it that can be spread and verified anywhere. So we'd have to 
to stop Bitcoin, you have to stop every single node, and that's just not possible. Um, another way it sort of ties into nature is that it's finite. So everything in our world is finite. Our, our world is finite, our resources are finite, and central banking is just incongruent with the laws of thermodynamics. So we have a closed system. We don't have any matter coming in and out of our world, but central banking is like allowing someone to create and print infinite economic energy, which is not possible in nature. That'd be like a lion sitting there, not having to chase anything, not having to kill anything, and just consuming all the animals around it without working for it and living forever, which is just crazy. But that's the yeah. that's the system we have right now, is that someone is just printing this these uh, life credits, basically. <laughs> yeah. So it's energetically unjust, financially unstable, and also not aesthetic. How does this tie into the aesthetic movement, the aesthetic renaissance, as you guys call it? Yeah, so Bitcoin is the official monetary system of the aesthetic renaissance. And I'd say how Bitcoin ties into aesthetics is really important. We can see in the world around us physically, if you look at the architecture, since our money started getting printed, things like like the architecture, the music, um, the style, in my opinion, things have gotten worse since the 70s. And you can also just look at this, like at a website, it's called WTFHappenedIn1971.com. And it shows all the downstream effects of us having soft, weak fiat currency money. Um, and then when it comes to aesthetics, though, is that if the money you're using as a civilization is melting, and this can happen subconsciously, people don't really realize it's happening, but the quicker your money starts to melt in your savings, and, and by I mean melt, I mean like it's losing purchasing power, the faster it loses that power and that stored life energy, the closer up your time horizon is to you. So you don't, you start to not care about and, and not be able to care about things five, 10, 20 years away. You have to think quick because you're like, man, I, I can't buy these groceries. They're getting expensive. I need to focus on money now. It's making everyone look closer and closer um, and shrinking their time horizon. And that's also, it just spreads into other decisions. It's like, I don't care about what I eat because I just need to eat. Mm -hmm. I don't care about, you know, what, what my business or what my art looks like because I just, it just needs to be done quick. And it's the consumption, the fiat materialistic culture that's all from the time horizon. Wow. But when things are drawn out, if you have your, your money locked away and you know that it's going to stay that same value and it's going to potentially appreciate in value, you can lock it away and feel at peace and you look out way longer in the horizon because you know that money's not going anywhere. You don't feel like you have to spend it immediately before it vaporizes purchasing power. You can plan ahead. And so in those societies, you can see people care about the aesthetics. I'm building this thing. I'm going to spend my Bitcoin on it. It must be really, really good. If I'm going to spend my you know precious Bitcoin that is like gold to me, but even better, I want to make sure it's spent on something good. So you want to spend on really good food. You want to build a really good building. You want to build a really good society. And that's what I believe will be coming back with Bitcoin as our, our base layer. Wow. Okay. So from what I understand from that, you're saying that this fiat system that happened in the seventies is affecting everybody on like a psychological level and like lifestyle values and choices, because if your time horizon is shrunken down and you're thinking more short term, then that can make lead to a, obviously a lot of instant gratification type choices, which can lead to obesity, which it can lead to not putting things out there for long term use of your community members, creating projects that will outlive you and stuff like that, that we've had in the past. And dude, that's very interesting too. I totally agree because my mom is an artist 
she was an architect. She has a degree in architecture, became an artist. And she was talking to me about the death of detail, how like, like you said, certain buildings that are built after the 70s, they're just functional, just simplistic. Yeah. And if you're living in a community with that type of mentality and that type of message, because it is a message, it's, it doesn't have to be verbal. You see it every day, it affects you and it makes you realize, oh, I don't have to put in the time to make it aesthetic. And then if you go into Nietzsche and, and different types of uh, philosophers talk, talked about this, um, what makes beauty beauty is that you can immediately see it. You can see Mike, uh, Michelangelo's work or anybody from, from that time, and you can just step in, look up, and realize it took a lot of time and effort. So ergo, beauty and aesthetics is equal to effort and, and yeah. time. So like, if you have a society that just like everything just thrown together, just functional, there's no aesthetics, but you can also go deeper in that and be like, there's no value in this. Exactly. So, wow. Okay. So it ties in the money we're using every day ties into your psychology. And that's why like you're pushing this Bitcoin message so hard is because it's going to be the savior. You said, what is it? I would say, I wouldn't say like savior. There's <laughs> only one savior. That's right. <laughs> JC. That's right. Um, but I think it's going to be the, the bedrock language of, of a world we want to see. Okay. And uh, as things go into the digital space, there's one of two routes financially. One is, is Bitcoin, where you own your own time. You can't be censored on what you can buy. Um, you can store your time for the future. Um, Pseudo-anonymous, you're not being spied on. Or you have the CBDC future, which is essential by digital currency, which is permissioned, meaning that it's not it's not yours to decide where you can spend it you have to request permission it can be shut off your funds can be deleted we're even seeing already um for example the digital uh, one is having uh, expiration dates for people's money so they're making them their money is literally melting they have to spend their money and that's forcing them into that close time horizon and it's just terrible so a cbdc is essentially sp spying and and financial slavery disguised as money it's just, it's wow. just it would be a terrible situation so we have two two choices folks and uh yeah yeah so even even if people who made a cbdc had good intentions the power that it would create for whoever issues this is just insane even if so they made it under good faith saying like hey it'd be it's easier um i don't have to use paper anymore it'd be so convenient but then you have to think, okay, well, what if someone comes into power that isn't so nice yeah. or someone who, who I wouldn't like came into this amount of power and that just could not be a good future where your money is not yours. That's basically meaning they, they own you. Um, so that's why Bitcoin is, is so clearly the answer. If you, if you forecast out where tech is going and where like they want our financial system to be, Bitcoin is the clear winner. Um, and the clear choice for those who value their time and their freedom. And so I think that's that's the future that we want to bring forward. And that's why we brought it into baseball. And I started going to talk about it more. We're doing a guide on it because it's just the future we want. Yeah. And you don't have to be like a sociologist to understand and see how easily they can weaponize this. Right? Yeah. They're going to tag you. No, imagine the government knowing exactly what you're spending, where and when. It's crazy. So why is it not, uh, anonymity so important and central to Bitcoin operations. I think it's critical because privacy is something that we just keep just giving an inch away at a time and until we're just not going to have any more privacy. And with that, I think that's that alone is just, you know, not 
that's not what people want. I want to be proud. I want to have privacy in my life. But I think also just physically, if like security wise, if you're doing something they don't like, they'll know exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they can just change the way you behave. If they can control how and where you spend your money and when you can spend it and they can control everything about you. So if they could say, Hey, you, you've bought enough meat this month or Hey, you, you're only confined to this geographic area. Your money doesn't work outside of this. Like there's a lot of freaky things, dystopian things that could happen with a fully permissioned digital currency that we don't want to see. Um, and so that's where Bitcoin sort of privacy and, and sort of other properties are just so important. I never even considered that. They could ration your food. They could ration your energy expenditure. They'd know how much you're spending, where you are. That's yeah. wild. Wow. Yeah, it'd be nuts. And it, it already is happening. And uh, it's already being attempted to be rolled out in more places. And that's just that's just immoral and unjust. Yeah. So we want to see people being free to have commerce with whoever they want, um, free to save their own money, free from debasement, free from theft. Uh, that's where Bitcoin is just, just so cool when you really look at it. So that movement, that postmodernist, like doomsday type movement of wanting to control your movements, your expenditure, and having like digital verification, could that be attributed to an organization of that? I don't know, that maybe you've seen some patterns that are building up, like who would want that? I think any, anyone who wanted to control people it's the natural progression of incentives. If, if they see people and sort of information is, is getting decentralized, we're seeing it right now already in the media, um, before the media was just sort of like directing the truth. This is the story, here it is. You tune on your channel and that's the story you get. But now we have like you know, Twitter and different podcasts and there's a more decentralized hive mind approaching to the informational space. But then if we look at the money, the money's always been controlled by one party. And now that's sort of being argued upon. Um, they're not gonna like that. So I think the incentives are for them or for any controlling entity to want to control people or control decisions. And so if you just look up upstream, it's it's like, it's clear which ones they want and which ones they don't want. Yeah. And let's see, Bitcoin is the one that's the true answer. Yeah. Because it'd be terrifying if you're self-sufficient and anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. So, Baseball, just under a year of operations, um, you push a very clear message that's simple ingredients, natural ingredients, and then it's in tune with nature, like you're saying, like Bitcoin is. Exactly. Very, very symmetrical messaging here. What made you want to tie both of them together? So, I think bringing back aesthetics is very important. Um, and I think it ties in with Bitcoin well, as we touched on earlier, but I see Bitcoin as like the bedrock for a good future. It's, a, it's the language of value. Some would say like Jordan Peterson said in the podcast about Bitcoin, it's an impenetrable, like incorruptible language of value. And that is the base layer of any civilization. And so building on top of that, you want to build a strong society, strong families. Um, and from that you have sort of a beautiful world yeah um and then with that i think a lot of the incentives of our current self-care products will go away in the bitcoin standard um and we'll go return to the old methods um the natural methods closer to earth and that's where the inspiration of baseball came in tallow olive oil beeswax just simple ingredients um, but ones that are actually good for you and don't you know harm you don't harm you and you'll have a nation a world of sovereign individuals that's right another great book yeah, sovereign individual 
um, yeah, that's that's the goal for sure. And we're seeing it already in a lot of places. Um, it's, it's Bitcoin is, is sort of going into society, is permeating, and we're seeing these sources of hope and pockets of like optimism pop up in the world, which is awesome. Yeah. But Troy, Bitcoin's value has been dropping recently. What would one do? Obviously, we're not financial advisors, right? Yeah. So, but we're not telling you what to do, but we're just talking here. What would you, how would you? Describe the drop in value, Bitcoin's value. What what would you doing? What are you doing now? So right now, I'm just not touching my Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, if you look at throughout world history, financial values can swing a lot. But if you look at even just Bitcoin's history, since its inception, it was worthless. And then a couple you know years in, it, it gained some financial value, a couple dollars here, and it would spike up, you know, crazy to a hundred dollar value coin. Oh my gosh, mania! And they said, and then it would collapse back down to twenty. And like, oh wow, it's a scam. And then it rose back up four years later to a thousand dollars. And like, oh my god, peak mania! <laughs> and collapse back to like two hundred. And then as it just gains more and more of a network effect and becomes stronger and harder and more miners, more energy, more people um, commercing with it gets bigger it's, it gets bigger and then it went up to in 2017 was that like what 19k almost or 18k exploded peak mania everyone's like oh my gosh bitcoin's crazy and then it collapsed back down to like two three k yeah and then it's just back up again so it's it's this is just a bear market um and in my opinion it will be back at higher highs and then it may crash again and then it'll just go back up again it's just the nature of it is becoming monetized so right now, Bitcoin's market cap is maybe it's a couple hundred billion right now. Mm. Um, I think it hit up to a trillion at one point, but it's becoming monetized. So it's becoming the money. And what that means is that it'll have to eventually win the network effect of being the language. Um, and I think that'll be great because it's the best at being a language. It hits all the properties of money. So it may keep going until it becomes the default language where people say, why would I want anything else? Why would I want these digital dollars? Why would I want Ethereum? They can be printed. Why do I want any of this surveillance crap when Bitcoin is, is, is non-censorable, undebasable, um, and it's backed by energy so no one can fake it. And with that, I think it could become the money, which means hundreds of trillions of dollars worth of total market value, which would be like upwards of 20 million dollars per bitcoin once it's fully monetized but again this isn't financial advice but if you just look at the trends i, I find comfort in just holding it in long yeah. term long yeah. long term hold on for dear life yeah yeah, yeah. Hodl. well i remember i think it was 2016 or 2017 i was in college and my roommate jack just burst into the living room he's like dude bitcoin broke a thousand ah it's crazy those crazy times. Yeah, it's, it gets a lot of mania and then it, it will, you know, diffuse and go back. But and what causes that, I guess some listeners want to know, is that Bitcoin goes through a halving every four years, which is the issuance rate of Bitcoin. So what happens is picture if you're mining for gold, the issuance rate of gold roughly every year is like two percent increase in the total amount of gold in circulation on Earth. It increases by about two percent every year. Whereas Bitcoin's issuance rate tightens every four years. So it actually, no matter how many people are mining it at once and trying to digitally mine for coins, um, the issuance rate stays the same for four years and then it actually tightens and tightens and tightens. So we've never had something as a society with a tighter issuance, a harder monetary rule set than gold. 
um, gold's at 2%. And then with Bitcoin's upcoming happening in like a having in a year, um, it should be around like 1%, um, which is like extremely tight, which means that it's very undebasable and it'll just keep getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And if we look in world history, whoever has the hardest money with the tightest uh, sort of ability to not increase the monetary supply wins. And we've seen this throughout history. Exactly. So the ha- the next halving is in a year. Yeah. Okay, cool. So if you have the money, then the supply is going to go down, right? Have it more value. But also, what is the... Um, what are other properties of Bitcoin? You said there's having. You said there's a limit on twenty one million. What other um, properties does Bitcoin have that makes it so unique? So one of the huge things is that Bitcoin's blockchain is extremely light. It's not very data intensive, and this is actually critical. So a lot of other coins like um, Ethereum, ugh, um, <laughs> it has a huge block space. So what it's kind of a, a short-sighted like engineering approach in my opinion is that if you have a bigger blockchain that allows you to fit more transactions per second which is great however that means that blockchain is heavier and requires a lot more data and so if you were to back up a full copy of that blockchain and a full copy of all those transactions it's extremely data intensive and this means that in order to run a full copy it's going to be expensive to run a full copy of bitcoin's every transaction ever and so running a copy is what's called a node basically. And that lets it be decentralized and more secure. But Ethereum, for example, it costs thousands of dollars to run a copy of Ethereum, so much so that pretty much 80% of the nodes are just run on AWS. Mm. So your, your decentralized cryptocurrency is relying on big tech to even like function, which is wow. insane. Um, but so Bitcoin is so genius is that it's written so that the blockchain is very light, so anyone can run a node anywhere, anytime. It only costs roughly 150, 200 bucks in hardware, or you can run it on an old laptop. Um, anything really that has enough gigabytes to hold the blockchain, which I believe is only like 250 gigabytes, so it's it's not much um, to run a full copy. So that's what's so genius about it. And um, some people would look at that and say, oh well, you can only have seven transactions per second on Bitcoin, therefore it's it's slow and it's, it's just not up to snuff with the rest. But you picture it, it, you have to have the base layer. It has to be secure. If you don't have security and decentralization, it will never be used as money if it's not secure. So Bitcoin is optimized to be decentralized. Now, in terms of transactions per second, people are building layers on top of Bitcoin for that high speed, uh, larger transaction throughput without compromising the sturdy decentralized base layer, which is why it's just so genius. Gotcha. So can anyone have access to Bitcoin? Like you, maybe you don't have the GPU, right, to, to mine it yourself, but you can just buy Bitcoin yourself without yep. having to mine. Yep. So everyone has access to this. Yep. What is keeping people from using it as one of their main sources of, of, of currency? Yeah. So I think right now the whole industry of crypto is like a is making Bitcoin look bad. I, I, the industry, the people, the scams, FTX, yeah. um, there's thousands of these cryptocurrencies and they're all trash because they're all, none of them can match Bitcoin's hash rate and make Bitcoin's decentralization and Bitcoin's immaculate inception where no one else had the ability to mine these coins beforehand. Bitcoin was released neutrally and you can verify that. Whereas all these other coins are scams. You've seen these pump and dumps, these 
NFTs, these FTX. Yeah. There's so many scams. There's so much noise. All uh, NFTs. I know probably some people be triggered with that, but I just think it, they're all just if they're tied to Ethereum, they're centralized, and that's just making everyone look bad. Or if they're tied to any other projects, in my opinion, um, it's making the industry just vulnerable, and that gets definitely making a lot of people hesitate to taking Bitcoin seriously because they just see all the noise, and it sort of scares them away. Understandably. Yeah, no, it's a huge way. liability, and uh, yeah, it's it has to be addressed. But yeah, no, you got to be careful with the FTX thing. I actually ha- opened up a credit card with uh, BlockFi, and so they went bankrupt because of FTX. So I had I'm I'm recovering my assets now, but you got to be careful and. An easy way to avoid something like FTX happening with you is doing the physiognomy check. Yeah, right? physiognomy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, being an aesthetics company, you care if someone, if you care about yourself and you care about your health. Um, I believe it's it's important. It shows on your outer persona. And if you're gonna invest money with someone who clearly doesn't care about their appearance or invest in themselves. Why would you trust them to invest your money? So it's everything is aesthetics based. <laughs> Let's go. No, yeah, easy physiognomy check done on a uh, Sam there. Yeah, yeah. FTX it blew up. Uh, a lot of people's funds evaporated, but um, with Bitcoin, I've yet to. There's there's nothing really that could happen really if you think about it. Yep, it's just TikTok next block, and so it's important that if you want to buy Bitcoin or acquire, you can even buy as little as like $5 worth um, with the cash app, and then you can just send it off into uh, self-custody, which is what's important. So. Yeah, let's talk about custody because a lot of people will be like, okay, I'm interested in Bitcoin. Should I go through uh, Coinbase or what are these wallets and um, exchanges? Which ones do you recommend? I recommend cash app and that's pretty, cash app and then also, um, uh, river and then any other company that's only bitcoin because the reason why i like cash up a lot especially is because they donate a lot to the open source development of software going to bitcoin devs um, they're also only bitcoin and i think as an exchange there's a big incentive to offer other these coins these scammy crypto coins because they just make a fee off selling them um, but on principle cash up chose the, the first one to do just only bitcoin so i respect that um, and so, yeah, you can just dollar cost average through cash App. You can buy $5 of the Bitcoin um, and then just save it for yourself and think long term. And I would encourage everyone before you put any money into Bitcoin is read up and learn as much as possible. Um, and then once you've arrived at your conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the risks that would happen to holding your money in a non Bitcoin based uh, holder like that. Yeah, so it's, for example, it's happened already with FTX. People, they buy Bitcoin or they're buying all sorts of trash. Just that wasn't Bitcoin, but let's say you bought Bitcoin and held it at FTX, held it. You open your FTX app or the desktop and you see, okay, there's my funds sitting right there. Well, they're not actually your funds. So with crypto exchanges, they don't have the same regulations. They don't have to have really your funds um, there. And so they may be reselling the same Bitcoin to a hundred people, meaning that they're leveraged up. So they're making the, they're collecting the fees off of selling a hundred Bitcoins, but they only actually have one Bitcoin themselves. So they're leveraging the fees and they're making a lot of money, um, but they're also making themselves really susceptible to bankruptcy because they don't actually have what everyone's buying. So your money may have gone, you thought it was going to buy Bitcoin, but you were buying Super Bowl ads with Tom Brady and such yeah. instead. So 
it's very important to have your own custody of your Bitcoin, which is different. So you would take your Bitcoin off the exchange, sending it to a wallet where you control the keys, then it is your Bitcoin. Yeah. But Troy, that sounds exactly like the financial and banking system we have here today, where they don't actually hold the money they say they do. And yet they're claimed to be like the super innovative crypto space, but only Bitcoin is the one who actually holds the Bitcoin they say they hold. That's right. Yeah, Bitcoin is the only truly auditable network that you can see exactly how it's working. You see the whole, all the lines of code, you can read on the white paper, um, you can trace back every transaction to the first one, um, seeing which you know wallets had which amounts. It's not tied to people's identity though, it's pseudo-anonymous. Um, but it's truly audible, truly transparent, and that's just what we need today in this world. Awesome. And just out of curiosity, don't tell me the location, obviously, but like you have access to someone's keys, you have access to their Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Where would you or someone you recommend hold their keys? Up here? They could hold it in their head or they could store it safely in a, in a geographic location <laughs> that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, there's also other methods such as a multi-signature, which is you essentially share um, a keys with someone else and it could be multiple people. Um, a great company that does this is called Unchained Capital, but they essentially allow you to set up multi-sigs with them and other people that allow you to know your Bitcoin can't be moved unless your chosen group of people have allowed it to do so. So a multi-sig is essentially like you need to be with someone else, both need to agree or more people need to agree all at once at the same time and then the Bitcoin can move. Um, and that way you can sort of rest easy at night knowing it's, it's not accessible. That sounds really interesting for enterprises. Something yes. that like is large, right? For sure. For an individual, you probably don't wanna do that, but that's, that's super interesting. Imagine if you have large enterprises going in with this multi-sig option and we talked a little bit already about countries already adopting Bitcoin, El Salvador, for instance. So this is this is covering all the bases, it sounds like. Yeah, it's it's really amazing like how it's working. It's just permeating into <laughs> our society. And um, it's just, it's so cool when you like really realize what it is. Um, but yeah, as we can touch on El Salvador, I guess for a little bit. So El Salvador is the first country to have Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, and they did this because the people there were using dollars and the dollars are, as we know, getting printed. So their savings weren't lasting as much. And additionally, a lot of people in El Salvador get their money off remittances sent from like the United States or other first world countries. But those remittances, when they send them home to El Salvador, were getting taxed heavily on yeah. the Western Union. Um, and then additionally, when people would go to get the money sent to them from let's say America, They'd have to go sometimes two hours away just to get to a brick and mortar bank to get the money physically because running an actual bank account in Salvador is extremely expensive. So they were just trying to get the physical cash. Yeah. And when they would go there, people, um, gangs and stuff would just sit and wait by these brick and mortar locations and would just take them of their money. Oof. So it's extremely difficult. So they really didn't have much to use as money. And if you don't have a, a language, that you can coordinate a society with a free market, it's extremely limiting on what the society can do. You know, the specialization in labor. Um, so Bitcoin was just naturally adopted by them because Bitcoin could be sent from someone in the United States right to them. They don't have to go and venture out to a physical bank to get dollars, to yeah. get mugged. 
um, and go straight to them. And then with the Bitcoin Lightning Network, which is built on top of Bitcoin, allows for extremely fast transactions. So they're just using it as cash and it started in El Zante and then eventually um, it's spreading throughout the country and caught the president's attention. And now it's their their currency. Wow, awesome. it's tremendous. So the Forex market, foreign exchange market, is it like in the trillions of valuation, right? What is the exchange rate of Bitcoin going country to country? I'm just curious. It's the same. I mean, essentially Bitcoin right now in dollars is 20,000. Um, but it's just, it's just amazing because I think it'll eventually be instead of people pricing it in dollars or pricing it in yen or pricing it in pounds, things will just be priced in Bitcoin. As it absorbs more of the financial market, it'll become the thing that the other objects are priced in. So you're telling me instead of paying some random to go over this invisible line, I'll pay zero? Exactly, yeah. It doesn't, Bitcoin doesn't, yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin doesn't know geographic lines, doesn't know any, it's just a simple accounting network um, that we all can use and coordinate ourselves as like a measuring stick for society. And it's going to help us coordinate a lot better. And I think the world's going to look really different once we're on a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, you're holding the keys to your life, to your financial life yourself. That's sovereign individuality. That's what yeah, we want. It's, it's going to be beautiful. So yeah. that's why we wanted to accelerate it here at Baseball. There's a little like window of opportunity I'm seeing here because currently the year is 2023. And the world still is run by the boomer generation. It's still their world, right? Like they're holding all the C-suites spots. They're like have a lot of the, the money still, which is great. It's not a complaint. That's just what it is right now. And with that, they are obviously pre-internet. And there's a natural skepticism with these larger entities, larger enterprises they built up. So the ones who are really capitalizing on this opportunity, the Bitcoin, are the younger generations. So imagine if like... I don't know, one of these giant uh, software companies or giant enterprises that have been along for a while just goes all in on Bitcoin. Then people are going to be like, oh, there's legitimacy here now. There's authority. And it might be too late for like people like us. Yeah, that's why I think it's it's pretty amazing that if, if you really research it now, I believe you'll be fiscally rewarded for your early like research. And so it's it's really gonna reward those who dove into it first, in my opinion. And then eventually, with the issuance rate of Bitcoin tightening, I think it'll be difficult for any average person to be able to buy it. Like it's it's kind of a, it's a blessing right now. You can just go and buy Bitcoin. I think pretty soon it's gonna be so tight that you won't be able to just buy it. You'll have to work for it. Mm. Yeah, you know, or pay an extremely high premium for little bits and pieces, so. Yeah. I think right now it's like a, as a blessing and it's only going to take a, a couple of companies to absorb all the mined new Bitcoin. So the liquidity is going to, going to dry. It's going to be not much to go around pretty yeah. soon in my opinion. So yeah, yeah. your kids and grandkids are in like years from now and be like, Hey dad, what'd you do Did, when Bitcoin was still like in its infancy? Did you yeah. capitalize? Exactly. You know? Yeah. So let me just, uh, End it all here with uh, Base Bomb as your new products. You've launched a bunch of different uh, directions, different lines, different products. Like, what is this one, for instance? This is, this smells amazing, by the way. This is, what is this? This is the uh, Elysian Nectar. So essentially we're making products for maximum aesthetics, but no endocrine disruptors. Um, we see it, the world has become soyified, yeah. men especially. <laughs> so um, coins. Yeah, soy coins. Um, so essentially we want to bring the culture back to like, hard objective truth 
we're bringing back beauty and aesthetics and we're going to celebrate those things um, and not you know be ashamed of them or, or not think they're not important because they are important. Taking care of yourself is important. And that's the sort of a ethos behind our products. And so right now we have the base balm with the tallow balm, the skin balm, and then we have this, uh, this is the Elysian nectar. So it's rosemary water, rosemary oil, clove water, um, vanilla oil, and then peppermint oil. And these things are all designed to give your scalp nutrients um, and helping it grow naturally. It's also, it smells really good. Um, and then basically it kind of gives your texture, nice texture to your hair, deletes frizz. Um, so it's just some of the ethos on our products. And um, we also have a lip balm, a pomade, um, and then we'll be expanding those lines as well. Tremendous products and you can just, you can feel the value. When something's aesthetic, it is synonymous with value. This, you can just tell, it is amazing. The Skin Bomb, the best bomb out there, everybody. So yeah, definitely check out basebomb.com. The boys, Troy and Alex, really did a great job with this. This is one of those companies that is just blowing the competition out of the water. I won't mention their names, appreciate but they that. know it. <laughs> appreciate that. Um, yeah, well, thanks so much for having me in the pod, man. Appreciate it. Of course, dude. Anytime, man. All right, appreciate it. Stay based. Stay based. <laughs> Stay based. That was great, dude. Thanks, man. That was awesome. Let's see if we move to storage. <laughs> like mine. Oh, okay. Good.